Oh, Holy Father, we bow before You in humble adoration. We thank You that You've called us Your people. We rejoice to call You our God. Father, we thank You for sending Your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. Oh, Father, may we never forget what He's done for us. Rouse us, Father. Energize Your people. Feed Your sheep. Give us what we need, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? That God ordains all things whatsoever cometh to pass? Big things? Little things? Maybe when a Bible study class is taught or a specific sermon is preached on a certain day? He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. For all of us who profess to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is a strange and subtle danger that we will all face. And it's the danger, listen, it's the danger that in the midst of the trials of living, we might forget our God. It's the danger that we might forget God. Think with me. We're all here together this morning, assembled as the church of God. And the idea that we might forget God seems strange. And maybe it is strange to think of it here like this today. I think you're here probably because you desire to worship God in spirit and in truth with His people. I mean, if you were after social networking or a large youth group or a great singles program, well, there are other venues much better suited to meet those needs. So maybe this danger, the danger of forgetting God, maybe it's not a great danger when we're worshiping on the Lord's Day. But brothers and sisters, listen. It truly is a danger for the people of God. And Moses repeatedly warned the children of Israel about the danger that they, the people of God, might forget their God. In Deuteronomy 6.12, he warns, Beware, lest thou forget Jehovah, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, Beware that thou forget not Jehovah thy God in not keeping His commandments and His judgments and His statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget Jehovah thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, 
that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, my power and mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember Jehovah thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do, forget Jehovah thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Now, now hear me, beloved. Surely God is not wasting the breath of Moses, his prophet. So there exists a real danger, a real and present danger that the people of God might forget him. In the ninth Psalm, David writes, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that Forget God. Who shall be turned into hell? The wicked. Who else? All the nations that forget God. The Russian Christian and dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn, speaking of his own nation, said this, listen. Quote, over half a century ago, while I was still a child, I recall hearing a number of the older people offer the following explanation for the great disasters that had befallen Russia. Men have forgotten God. That's why all this is happening. Since I have spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of our revolution, in the process I have read hundreds of books, collected hundreds of testimonies, and have already contributed eight volumes of my own toward the effort of clearing away the rubble left by that upheaval. But if I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million people, I could not have put it more accurately than to repeat, men have forgotten God. That is why all this happened. Close quote. Well, friend, listen, if, if you're familiar at all with Solzhenitsyn and what he went through in that Russian nation from his imprisonment and interrogation in Moscow, to his years in the Siberian gulag. Well, he was in a kind of hell. And his experiences in the gulag certainly do seem to echo David's warning, the wicked shall be turned into hell. And all the nations that forget God. But listen, <laughs> lest we think that from Moses or from David that forgetfulness of God is only a danger to nations? In the 50th Psalm, verses 22 and 23, Asaph warns this, listen. Consider this, you, ye, that forget God. 
Consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. Now, listen, you wouldn't think that the kind of people that sing psalms with Asaph would be the kind of people who would forget God. But did you hear that threat in the psalmist's warning? Lest I tear you in pieces? That's intended to inject a strong dose of solemnity into this warning as he warns the people of God against the danger of forgetting their God. And beloved, listen, surely this is a compelling warning because this danger that the people of God might forget their God, it's not just a potential danger. It's not just some theoretical danger warned against by prophets and psalmists. It's actually happened in history. We know about it. The forgetting of God has happened in history. It's actually happened repeatedly in the history of the people of God. In the prophecy of Jeremiah, Jehovah asked, Can a maid forget her ornaments? Or a bride? Her attire? And were this only a rhetorical question, friend, it seems the answer would be no, doesn't it? But the Almighty doesn't leave it as a rhetorical question. He goes ahead and answers it. And the answer is, my people have forgotten me days without number. Jeremiah 2.32. Now listen, in the time of Jeremiah, the living of a woman depended on a man. So God's analogy here is the idea of how outlandish how outlandish it would be for a young and eligible maiden to go abroad without her ornaments, without her jewelry on. It would be unheard of. It would be unthinkable. You see, such a maiden would want to be looking her finest. She'd want to be looking her best when she went abroad. For who knows? Today could be the day. When she meets her beloved. So she must have her ornaments. She must have her jewelry. She wants to look her best. She's not going to forget. Well, listen, if that's not a strong enough analogy, God strengthens it with a second phrase in his question when he asks, Can a bride forget her attire? Could a bride forget her wedding gown? Olivia, uh, our most recent bride, can you see how absurd that might be? Well, listen, that's just a shadow of how preposterous it would be for God's people to forget Him. But what does He say? My people have forgotten me for days without number. Brothers and sisters, listen, no matter how absurd it sounds, no matter how preposterous it seems, it happened. 
It happened. God's people did forget Him. Days without number. And in the very next chapter of Jeremiah's prophecy, I read, Surely, as a wife treacherously departeth from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith Jehovah. A voice was heard upon the high places, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way, and they have forgotten Jehovah their God. Jeremiah 3, verses 20 and 21. They forgot. They forgot. Just like a woman forgetting her husband, or a man forgetting his bride, they forgot their God. And the Scripture says, when they had forgotten, they perverted their way. Brothers and sisters, listen, it's not, it's not just here in the prophecy of Jeremiah that the forgetting of the people of God is recorded. In the 106th division of the Psalms, there's a recitation of the history of national Israel. And in verse 6, the psalmist makes confession and, and he says, We have sinned with our fathers, we have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. And then he describes the sins of the Israelites. Their lusting in the wilderness. Their testing of God in the desert. Their envy of Moses and Aaron. Their idolatrous golden calf worship. And in verse 21, he attributes this sin, this perverting of their ways to forgetfulness to a forgetting of Almighty God. He writes, they forget God, their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. They forget, they forgot God. If you read the psalm, the result is horrific. So brethren, hear hear me please. Though this idea might sound strange, there's a risk. There's a hazard. There's a peril. There's a danger for the people of God. For you and for me. For us. A danger that in the midst of the rigors of living... We might forget our God. And listen, such a forgetting of God, it could be either active or it could be passive. Think with me. There's an active forgetting of God when people knowingly suppress the knowledge of God because they want to sin. And there's a passive forgetting of God when we allow the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, or the rigors of 21st century life in America to so distract us that we neglect or disregard or fail to consider our God. 
There is such a thing as an active forgetting of God. The active forgetting of God is described by the great apostle in his treatise in Romans 1, where he describes the wicked. Listen, he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, because God hath showed it to them. Paul says that they hold the truth. But more literally, they hold down or they suppress the truth. And brethren, listen, listen. When you or when I know to do good and we do evil, well, for us to do that, we have to engage in some twisted mental gymnastics. When a Christian sins, the mental gymnastics that she or he engages in is that they suppress the truth. That is, they actively forget. They forget God. Maybe only momentarily. I don't want to think about God right now. That would interfere with what I want to do. Beloved, listen. This is grievous sin. Most grievous. An active forgetting of God. Let let me ask you a question. Hear me, please. When righteous David... The sweet singer of Israel, you know, that man after God's own heart. When righteous David did not avert his gaze from that bathing woman, when he fixed his eyes upon her and allowed his lust to become inflamed, when he summoned and had her brought into his bedchamber, when he violated her, and violated her covenant when he murdered her husband was he remembering the sovereign God of Israel whose eyes are in every place beholding the evil and the good was he that's the question was he remembering God he was not remembering friend He was not remembering. Why? Because he had decided to forget. He had made up his mind and decided to forget. And do I need to remind you of the hell that followed? You want some hell? You got it. David's active forgetting of God produced a catastrophe that makes the most heart-rending Shakespearean tragedy look like nothing. Brothers and sisters, listen. It's, It's easy for us to sit here upon our padded pews and remember King David, but hear me, none of us are feeble-minded. None of us are dullards. 
None of us are dim-witted. And I tell you, Christian, when you decide to sin, you are actively forgetting your God. And there will be consequences. And it might just be hell on earth. Saints of God, listen, let us never forget our God. God help us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Now, brothers and sisters, listen, the, the idea that we might actively forget our God is a horrible idea, but that's not the only danger. There's also a danger that we might passively forget our God. And I tell you, sometimes I long for a simpler time. Text messages and emails and cell phones and emails on the cell phone, they've made it almost impossible to get away, even for a little while. And the rush of 21st century life can be oppressive. It can at times be almost overwhelming. In my job as an accountant, I try to do a good job. But brethren, I can hardly keep up. I can hardly keep up. If I try to manage the people that work for me and to do the daily tasks that I need to do every day, if I take the phone calls and respond to the emails if I try to go to the meetings that I'm called upon to attend, and if I try to stay even marginally on top of the most recent pronouncements by the authoritative accounting body so that I can do it right, and if I schedule other people's work so that we get the books closed in time, I can hardly keep up. And that's just a job. I mean, I have sons and daughters and a wife and extended family. And there are other things that I should be doing, you know, like exercising, reading, pausing to think, praying. And, and listen, beloved, I'm only talking about me. Because I know me better than I know you. But saints, listen, 21st century American life, it, it was somewhat overwhelming even before a pandemic. And I tell you, all the pressures and distractions of modernity, they can drive God from our minds. So I tell you, there is a clear and present danger that we could become so consumed with these things that we could forget our God. If I recall correctly, Screwtape advises Wormwood that distraction and diversion can be of great effect against us. Oh, God, help us. God, help us. So there are some horrible thoughts. Saint, 
There's a grave danger that we might actively forget our God. And if that's not enough, there's a solemn danger that we might passively forget our God. Now now listen, if you believe this, that there's a danger of God's people forgetting Him, if you believe this, and you should, because why would we be warned about it so much? If you believe this, then I submit to you this morning, there are at least three ways that we might see effects in our lives that might indicate that we're forgetting our God. And I'm sure there are more, but I I know of at least three. So, brothers and sisters, let's obey Holy Scripture and let's examine ourselves. For the great apostle said, listen, if we would judge ourselves, what? We should not be judged. I don't like being judged. Well, you should judge yourself. And then you might avoid it. 1 Corinthians 11.31 So three ways, listen, three ways. Publicly, privately, and practically. Publicly. Publicly. Brothers and sisters, listen. I have learned a few things just because I have sociological interests. I've just learned some things from watching people. And I've learned some things from watching Christians over a long period of time, or professing Christians. And one thing I have learned for sure is this. When a professing Christian, listen to me please, when a professing Christian begins to neglect the public assembly of the saints of God, something's wrong. I'll say again, he who hath ears to hear, let him hear. When a professing Christian begins to neglect the public assembly of the saints of God, something is wrong. I mean, to neglect the public assembly of the saints is strictly forbidden in Holy Scripture, Hebrews 10, 25. It's a grievous sin. Listen, it is. And listen, it's a forgetting of God. When a man or woman who was faithful to the house of God begins to not be faithful to the house of God, you can mark it down. Pin of iron, point of a diamond, lead in the rock forever. You can mark it down. Sin lieth at the door. That eminent Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle said this, listen, begin with not honoring God's day and you will soon not honor God's house. Cease to honor God's house and you will soon cease to honor God's book. Cease to honor God's book and by and by you will give God no honor at all. Let a man lay the foundation of having no Sabbath and I am never surprised if he finishes with the top stone of no God. Well, listen, it may sound trite, but it is true. Men either go to church or they go to hell. I read a tract one time, Grady, and that was the title Go to Church or Go to Hell. You might know the author. Men either go to church or they go to hell. 
Listen, the neglect of the public assembly of the saints is a public forgetting of God. And God will judge it. Just a few weeks ago, um, Jeannie and I worshipped with Nina in London. And we met with a congregation of the Free Church of Scotland. But we met in a stunningly beautiful Anglican chapel. And when I inquired, how, how is this possible? Nina told me, the Anglicans have more chapels and abbeys than they have congregants. So the Free Church of Scotland congregation leases the building on the Lord's days for a song. And during the week it serves as a union hall for workmen's lunches. They lease it on the weekend. Christian Britain. There's another way that we could publicly forget God, and that's by not witnessing to others of the grace of God that is in us. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said, we are the salt of the earth. And He said that we are the light of the world. And you know that salt preserves and seasons, and you know that light dispels darkness. And I submit to you that if we are not actively acting as salt and light in the places where God has put us, we are publicly forgetting our God. We're not being what Christ says we are. And I hope you understand those are both being verbs. If we're not seasoning and preserving, God will judge. He surely will. The Scriptures guarantee it. If we are His children, He loves us. And what does a father do, a good father, with the son whom he loves? He chastens him. He trains him. He makes him do right. Why? Because he loves him. Now those are just some examples of the effects of a public forgetting of God. But listen, think with me about the private effects of forgetting God. Let me ask you about your prayer life. Do you pray? Do you pray in secret? I'm really not asking about your Sunday prayers with the saints. Those are very, very important. I'm asking about your prayer closet. Do you pray? And let me be crystal clear. When we don't pray secretly, we are forgetting God. Yes, it's in private, but it's a forgetting of God. It's a private forgetting of God. Listen, the Holy Scriptures tell us that righteous Daniel prayed three times each day. Three times each day. That might be a good practice for us. Listen, beloved, the Muslims 
who worship an evil demon named Allah, they pray to their false god five times a day. Religiously, they do. Brothers and sisters, listen, do you pray? I need to pray. You need to pray. We need to pray. Prayerlessness is a private forgetting of God. Now, let me ask you another private question. How's your Bible study? Do you study your Bible? Actively? Ongoingly? Regularly? Devotedly? And brethren, I don't want to <laughs> belabor this, but Christians are to be Scripture lovers. Christians are to have their minds filled with Holy Scripture, soaked in Holy Scripture, marinated in Holy Scripture, saturated by Holy Scripture. And, and listen, beloved, remember what an awesome privilege it is for us to have the Bible in our own language. We tend to take that for granted, but remember, in the early church, no one had their own Bibles. And sometimes a church only had part of the Old Testament, and maybe one or two of Paul's letters, and maybe one of the Gospels. And for the heathen, there was no Bible in their language. And for the Scriptures to be collected in a book, to be printed upon a press and translated into our own tongue so that we can take and read? Oh, brothers and sisters, do you realize how many saints of old would have scratched and clawed and bitten just to have a portion of Holy Scripture? And here we have it sitting upon our laps. Multiple copies in our homes. And if you think your translation sounds archaic, many choices in your own language. We are privileged people. So brother, sister, are you reading your Bible? And hear me, listen, if you're not, it's a forgetting of God. It's a forgetting of God by forgetting His words. So we might forget God publicly by neglect of the house of God or by failing to witness of the grace of God. Or we might forget God privately by neglecting prayer, the study of the Holy Scriptures. But I think the most insidious way that we might forget God is practically. And when I warn of the danger of us forgetting God practically, listen, the real danger is that we would forget God in the way that we live our lives or in the way that we think in our minds or in the ways that we act and react. Think with me. Does, does your thinking on and about God affect your living? Well, of course. Of course we answer. Of course it does. But how does it? How does it affect our living? 
Does your remembering of God affect your thinking? Does it affect the ways that you react to situations, people, events, occurrences? Well, I believe that we would all say that it does, but brethren, listen, not as much as it should. Surely not as much as it should. Let me give you a couple of practical examples I've thought about recently and, and share with you how my own reactions have convinced me that forgetting God practically is a very real danger to the people of God. Imagine that someone stole some money from you. Not armed robbery, mind you. Maybe by a business manipulation. They took your money. And when you asked for it back, they said, why don't you come get it? Now imagine this is not a small sum of money. Imagine it was enough money that the loss of it upset some of your plans. It made it so that you had to scramble to meet some of your obligations. And maybe some of your obligations didn't even get met because that person stole your money. And imagine that the whole incident caused you much emotional distress and turmoil. And you felt outraged. You felt that grave injustice had been done to you and that you had been innocently wronged. And imagine that the person who stole your money mocked you and your Christianity and called you ugly names and said untrue and slanderous things about you. What would your first thought be? Well, if you're anything like me, it might be a thought of physical violence. You might think something like, you have no idea what I could do to you. Or maybe you're more refined. Instead of physical violence, your thought is to use that blunt instrument of the state. You know, lawyers, politicians, law courts, or other surrogates. I've thought about this a lot. And I'm not sure that there is never a time for a Christian to hire a lawyer. But I can tell you this. When trouble assails us, the first place a Christian's mind should rush to is his God. When trouble assails us, the first place the Christian's mind should rush to is his God. The first thing a Christian should do when trouble assails him is hit his knees. The violence that the Christian should engage in is a wrestling in prayer. And friend, I tell you, when our minds first rush to violence or to coercion or to lawyers, if that's the first place we go, listen, we are practically forgetting our God. 
I'm not trying to be a meddling preacher. I'm not one. And like I said, I'm not saying there is never a time for a lawyer. What I am saying is that the Christian's reservoir of strength is her God. I'm saying that we have mighty weapons that this world knows nothing of. And yeah, I pray specifically sometimes that God will deal with X. And X is a person sometimes. Hear the words of our Lord. And yes, these are red words. He said, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you and do good to them (coughs) that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be children of your Father, which is in heaven. For He maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good. And He sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. If you love them which love you, what reward have you? Don't even the publicans do the same? If you salute your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect. As your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5, 38 through 48. I'm not saying doing this is easy, friend. I think it's very hard. Actually, I think it's impossible apart from the Holy Spirit of God. I'm saying this. I'm saying that when our thoughts immediately go to lawyers and coercion, how are we any different than the world? If that's the first place our mind rushes to, how are we any different? Are we forgetting our God? Listen to these words of our Savior. Who shall, whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in Me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must need be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. Matthew 18, 6 and 7. Beloved, listen, we have a mighty God, an awesome God. In our our times of trouble, our minds should rush to him. Please hear me. I did not say there's never a time for a lawyer. I'm saying our first resort is our God. And in the midst of troubles, let's not practically forget him. Now here's another another <laughs> another example and it's just a question. It's a tough one though. Christian husband. When you hear that bump in the night, what's your first thought? Is it, where's my Glock? Is it? Let me tell you what the Holy Scriptures say. There is no king saved 
by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. And horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him and upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. That's Psalm 33, verses 16 through 19. And the Bible says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Psalm 34, 7. And the Bible says, The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is from the Lord. Proverbs 21, 31. So listen, beloved, I am not saying ditch your Glock. <laughs> I don't think you'll ever hear this preacher say that. I am saying, don't forget God. There is no safety apart from Him. None. May our Savior always be our first resort. Listen, Jesus saves. Temporally and eternally. Those are just a couple of examples, but beloved, I'm convinced that often, actually very often, we're no different than non-Christians in our thinking and in our reactions. And I'm convinced that the reason for that is a practical forgetting of God. And if you think about it, when we're no different than the world, we're practical atheists. Or you might say that for all practical purposes, we might as well be atheist if our Christianity doesn't affect the pragmatic living of our lives. You see, listen, please listen. We often operate under that same paradigm that the world always operates under. And that's the effectiveness paradigm. You've heard me talk about this before, but it convicts me, and so you'll probably hear me talk about it again. Do you know about the effectiveness paradigm? The effectiveness paradigm says, will this work? And then, if it seems to me, the evaluator, that it'll work, then that's what I'll do. If then. If I think it'll work, then I'll do it. And brothers and sisters, listen. Many, many of the commands of Jesus shatter the effectiveness paradigm. Let me ask you something. How will loving your enemies work? How's that working out for you? How will praying for those who spitefully use you work? How will lending to somebody that you know can or will never pay you back, how will that work? Well, listen, because he's so gracious, our Lord didn't command us to determine 
whether or not we thought His commands would work for us or not. What He said was, if you love Me, keep My commandments. John 14, 15. So friend, listen, away with the effectiveness paradigm. As much as we are able, let us obey your Savior. (laughs) Our Savior. I love it when Paul says, as much as it is in you, live at peace with all men. Paul was very practical. He realizes sometimes (laughs) the Glock's coming out. But as much as it's in you, live at peace with all men. Friends, as much as it's in you, away with this effectiveness paradigm. Just obey your Savior. First, time, first thing when trouble comes, hit your knees. That lawyer that you've got his magnet on your refrigerator, take it down. Hide it in the bottom of the deepest drawer. Don't go there. Brothers and sisters, listen. We are the people of God and there is a real and present danger before us that we might forget our God. We could forget God actively or passively. And if we are forgetting our God, it might be evidenced publicly or privately or practically. And listen, if you're convinced as I am, that this is a serious danger, worthy of consideration, then you're probably saying to yourself, I don't want to forget God. I don't want to. So what can we do? I'll tell you a strange story. When I had the COVID last year, I was sick and quarantining at home. And my boss the chief financial officer of our company, she called me to ask about the details of a large and complex journal entry that needed to be revisited for the month that we were currently trying to close. And I had no idea what she was talking about. And I told her, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And so she emailed me this large and complex spreadsheet. And I was not feeling well. And I opened it up, and as I looked at it and went through the tabs and read the explanatory notes, I realized that the explanatory notes, that the writing style seemed familiar. And I realized that it was mine. And I still couldn't remember it. But it was quite obvious from the notes, my notes, that I had done all of this work only a month before. And beloved, listen, I I forgot things before the COVID, but maybe it's worse now. Not sure. But that just made me think about our liability to forgetfulness. And we are very, friend, we are very forgetful people. Even the ancient Israelites who had seen the Red Sea parted, who had eaten bread from heaven, who had seen that hovering pillar of fire every night, they were prone to forget their God. And saints throughout all the ages have recognized the danger 
that we might forget our God. Some of you know that in the East, what's called Orthodox Christianity, they pray the Jesus prayer. And I'm not advocating it, but I am definitely not against it. But I believe that the intent of that brief prayer is to keep the Savior in mind. To keep God in a perpetual remembrance so that one truly practices the presence of the Almighty. So though I'll not, I'll not advocate the Jesus prayer, I do, need, I do believe that you and I need to think about ways to keep our Savior before our minds. And brothers and sisters, how, how shall we do this? And listen, basically it's this. We will have an intentionality about remembrance. We'll do it on purpose. What are you doing? I'm just trying to remember my Savior. I mean, we'll make it our definite intention to not forget. Why are you reminding yourself? Because I don't want to forget. That's why. I mean, we will take concrete steps to fill our minds and our memories with thoughts of our God. And by that, friend, I mean that we, don't, we won't just sort of stumble through life. We'll plan intentionally so that we'll remember. We'll work at it. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, Bodily exercise profiteth a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So listen, we train ourselves to godliness by prayer, by the study of the Holy Scriptures, by enjoying the company of the saints, by attendance at public worship, and by anything else that fills our minds with thoughts of our God. You may remember that in Deuteronomy 6, Moses is talking to the Israelites about the danger of memory loss when it comes to forgetting God. And they were standing on the brink of the promised land, ready to enter a land full of cities that they hadn't built, full of houses with good things there that they hadn't worked for, with luxuriant vineyards that they hadn't planted. And as good as the prospect of all that prosperity was, there was a danger lurking underneath that blessing. And Moses knew that in good times, it's easy to forget God. In the times of prosperity, that is the greatest danger to the people of God. And the people were in danger of forgetting God, that it was Him that was giving them this land flowing with milk and honey, forgetting that it was God who was going with them into each battle, forgiving, forgetting even that it was only through God's sovereign election that they were His people and were enjoying all the blessings of their new home and country. And beloved, when we forget God, we become proud. We begin to think that we're self-sufficient. 
And those are all the things that are offensive to God. And the solution for Israel and the solution for us is keeping God before our minds perpetually. And that's why Moses instructs the children of Israel on how to train their children and how to even train themselves. Listen, this is familiar. These words, he says, I command thee this day, they shall be in thine heart and thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up and thou shalt bind them as a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thine house and upon thy gates and it shall be when Jehovah thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest... Thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Oh, if I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Psalm 137, 5 and 6. O gracious Father, O precious Son, O Holy Spirit, let us never forget You. Please stand with me for prayer.